0: This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. God's good? He's so good, so good. You can be seated. Thank you so much for having me here today. That was a beautiful song. Thank you for singing that. That's one of our family's favorites. My daughter, Sadie, and and my wife, Andrew, over there. And one of our favorites, we sing at our church. But uh, Thank you for allowing me to be here today. And thank you to to Dad, the bishop. I guess I should call him the bishop. uh, And to (laughs) Miss Shelley. Uh, It is an honor to be here. I think my brother was here previously this year uh, speaking to you guys. And if I know my brother, he always used the same joke he always says about being the better-looking brother or the more athletic. I don't know, something like that. That's what he always leads with. He's also the liar in the family. But... (laughs) We're praying for him, but uh, it, is, uh, it, is, it is an honor to be here. Thank you. Um, what I want to do is uh, I want to talk to you today um, on this title. It's, it's a big title. I don't know if the message will be as good as the title, but here's the title. Uh, I want to talk about scary storms, silly superstitions, and the structure of self. How's that? Scary storms, silly superstitions and the structure of self, if we wanted to not make it so fancy. I, I really just want to talk to you about the benefit of trouble. The benefit of trouble. Uh, and to do that, I want to start with a quote from George MacDonald, an old Scottish pastor and writer. George MacDonald said, Every difficulty indicates something more than our theory of life can bear. Every difficulty indicates something more than our theory of life can, can bear. Now, the reason I'm sharing that quote with you is because today we're going to read two uh, different stories from the Gospel of Mark. Um, Both stories relate to storms. Both stories relate to the miracle uh, power of Jesus Christ. But they uh, are stories where the disciples find themselves in a difficulty. You're probably familiar with these stories, these very famous stories, very famous preacher stories uh, that are are preached on many, many times. Uh, But the disciples find themselves in a difficulty. They find themselves in the middle of of the storm. And uh, and what I want to do is not so much focus on Jesus and how Jesus miraculously stops the storm, calms the storm, walks on the water. We'll talk about that a little bit. But what I really want to do is I want to talk about the disciples because... In both of these stories, they find themselves where you and I find ourselves often in that they are trying to follow Jesus. They are even being obedient to go where Jesus told them to go. Okay, so they're, they're being obedient. They're following God. They're being faithful disciples of Jesus while at the same time they're tired, scared, confused, and struggling in the middle of a storm. I want you to think about that for a second, that these followers, disciples of Jesus, obedient, faithful Christians, they're not thinking about walking away from God, they're not giving up on their faith, they're not disenfranchised you know, believers who are becoming atheists. They are wholeheartedly, all in, 100% following Jesus, while at the same time they are tired and scared and confused and struggling. And I think it's important before we move on to, to let that sink in for a moment that people of faith still feel scared. They still get confused. They still struggle. Let me say it this way. I feel tired. I get scared. I struggle. You do too. You do too. It's not an indication of a lack of faith in Jesus. It's not an indication of somehow something being wrong with what what we're doing, necessarily. And, and you know, I think sometimes as Christians and churchgoers, we, we unintentionally, we don't mean to, but unintentionally we kind of paint this picture that we're doing better than we are. You know how we do it. We all do it, you know, and and uh And maybe you're here today and you're not a, a regular church goer, maybe this is your first time, maybe you're just kind of feeling this out. And sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating because you look around and you think, man, they're doing so much better than I am. They're not really. They're not really. Jesus does come to us in life and make life better in so many ways, emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually, but... At the same time, we still get scared. We still get tired. We still struggle. We still get confused. We still, we still wonder about things. And we go through storms. We, get through, we go through storms. What's interesting to me, and we're going to read this in just a second, but what's interesting to me is that uh, the disciples are in this position because they had done exactly what Jesus told them to do. So this scared, struggling, confused, tired place that they are in, this chaotic storm that they are in, is the place that God, that Jesus instructed them to go. They are being obedient to God and find themselves in the middle of this place. And I don't know about you, but, well, I do know about you. I don't know you, but I know about you. I know about myself that those are the most troubling and disorienting times for our faith often, is when we do what God told us to do, but instead of things getting better, they seemingly get worse. Right? Um, Like um, a a classic example as a pastor is stories of people where um, you start tithing, And you've heard all these stories about checks in the mail, you know. It's like you put a tithe check in the offering and then there's this big check in the mail at your house or a bonus at work or, you know, something. These are the stories we tell and rightfully so because they're miraculous and amazing. But there are people who put a tithe check in the offering, start tithing, and then they lose a job or money gets tighter or the car breaks down. That's the worst, you know, when you give a big offering and then the car breaks down. That's the worst, but it happens. And then in those moments, you're like, what in the world, God? Or you forgive someone who hurt you, and you've always kind of believed that that moment of forgiveness, everything would break free and break off of you, and they would be grateful that you forgave them, and you would be grateful, and then you would hug and cry, and everything would be better. But you try to forgive somebody, or you do forgive somebody, and instead, they treat you worse. They take advantage of you. They make fun of you for trying to mend the relationship. And you're thinking, wait a second, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but it's not getting better. Maybe you turn down an opportunity at a job or something like that, and you think, you know what, you're doing the right thing. You're you're making the right decision in this season of life, and so God's going to reward you. You you know, yeah, you turned down that, but God's going to reward you with something better. But actually what happens is you just kind of feel stalled in life for so long. And you wonder, should I have taken that opportunity? Should I have done that? Or you tell the truth and you think, well, I told the truth, you know, and so I'll get rewarded, you know, or I, I didn't compromise. And so once my boss finds out about that or once the teacher finds out about that or, I didn't cheat on the test. And so once the teacher knows that, then good things are going to happen. But instead what happens is other people who do lie and do cheat get promoted or get rewarded. And you're wondering what's going on. These are the times when we wonder if our faith in Jesus does any practical good. Does our faith in Jesus actually do any practical good in our life and improve our life in any way? Or benefit our life in any way? These are the questions, the struggles that we have, the confusion that we have when we find ourselves going through these terrible trials or storms in our life. And when we go through those storms and those seasons of trouble, we are dealing with a breakdown in theory of life. This is why I tell you the George McDonald quote, because every difficulty indicates something more than our theory of life can bear. What George McDonald was saying there is that what... What makes something, what classifies something as trouble or difficulty or trial is when it is a break in what you assumed life would be, your theory of life. Everyone in the room today has a theory of life. You have a way that you think life is going to go. You have a way that you assume you know, your life will be or what tomorrow will look like, which Jesus told us don't do that, but we do that. We can't help but do that. And when there is a break or an interruption in that theory of life, that's when we struggle. That's when we tailspin. That's when emotionally we're messed up, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but it's, a, it's when a theory of life is interrupted. If the theory of life is not interrupted, then it's not considered a difficulty. I want to give you an example. This is a silly example, um, but I think it proves the point. Fifteen, sixteen years of pastoring, all the counseling, all the conversations I've ever had with people, I've never had, and Dad, you've probably never had this happen either. I've never had anyone come to me and say, I'm mad at God because I don't have two noses. Like on your face. I have two noses. I only have one nose. And I'm mad about it. It's not fair. No one's ever said that. I told you it was a silly example. You know why you've never been upset about not having two noses? Because you've never had an expectation to have two noses. You've never seen someone with two noses. You've never heard of anybody having two noses. Your expectation for your life is one nose. And so you never look in the mirror and say, why do I only have one nose? God, why did you only give me one nose? I'm mad at God. He's holding out on me, right? We never think this. Now here's what's interesting, is that not having two cars, difficulty. It's an American problem, I know. But there have been seasons in my marriage and in my family when we've had to go from two cars to one. And it is a pain in the butt. Can I say butt? I don't know if I said it. It is a, it is a, I mean, it is, it is, it's awful. Having one car is terrible. Again, a very American problem, I know. But. I remember early in our marriage, I would have to wake up to take Andrea to school and then be there to pick her up in college, college, I didn't marry her that young, I would take her to college <laughs> and, uh, and then I would have to take her to work and then, you know, and I can't get anything done or then she's got, and, and so here's my point. One knows two cars, it's a reasonable expectation for life. And so it's crazy to think that not having two cars could be considered difficult. What about this one? Two kids, two kids. You had an expectation of life that you would have two children but you only have one or you have no kids or you lost a child. Now why would not having two noses be no problem but not having two cars be a problem and not having two children be a problem because of a theory of life, because of an expectation. My expectation for life is one nose, two cars and at least two kids and long as my life looks like one nose, two cars, at least two kids, I'm good the moment my life doesn't look like I expected it to look, that's when I consider it to be a trial. I consider it to be a difficulty. I consider it to be a problem. And it doesn't matter if other people agree with you. If you feel like it's a difficulty, it's a difficulty. Because your theory of life has been interrupted. And there are so many theories of life that have been interrupted, even in this season that you're in right now. You thought you'd be married by now but you're not married and you're reaching that age when people think it's weird to not be married and you're wondering, like, is there something wrong with me? Or you're, you're, you you're thought you'd be a parent by now. You thought you'd be making more money. You thought you wouldn't be sick. You would be over the sickness by now. You thought that you would feel fulfilled in your life and you, and you, and you don't. And it's in these seasons, it's in these times when you struggle, you're tired, you're scared, you're confused because... It's not that your life is is worse than everyone else in the world. You know there are people who have it harder than you, but you're not worried about them. It's your theory of life that's been interrupted. It's your expectation for life that's been interrupted. And so I want us to read these two stories together, Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. The disciples had an expectation that because they were that because they were following Jesus, everything was going to be all right, and he was going to be powerful, and they were going to be powerful. And so their theory of life gets interrupted one night, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Just take note, this was Jesus' idea. They were being led by God. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. Always a good idea to take Jesus in your boat. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I've always been one of my goals in life to be more like Jesus, so I want to take more naps. I feel like Jesus took naps. I want to be more like Jesus. And so there is... There is this model for us. There is this example for us in this this story that part of being like Jesus is being able to have a peaceful, non anxious presence in the middle of chaotic, anxious situations. And so Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples woke him up shouting. Teacher, don't you care? I have that underlined in my Bible. Don't you care that we're going to drown? They're certain of it. They, they come to Jesus convinced that he doesn't care and that they're going to drown. They're sure of it. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and uh, said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, is really important. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? If you have a Bible you can mark in some way, I would just highly encourage you to mark that about seven times, to circle it. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, we know they have some faith. They're following Jesus, but there's something he's trying to get to here, and the disciples were absolutely terrified Who is this man, they asked each other, even the winds and the waves obey him. So that's the first story. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. I mean, we don't know exactly how long it is. Historians, theologians, commentators would say at the shortest a few days, at the longest a few weeks. They're back in another boat. Verse 45, Mark 6, immediately after this, this is after the feeding of 5,000, one of Jesus' greatest miracles that the disciples were a part of. They, they passed out the food, they picked up the leftovers. So verse 45, this is immediately after one of the greatest miracles they had ever experienced. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake while he sent the people home. Again, it's Jesus' idea. They're being led by God. And so after telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. It's probably why he could sleep in the first story, because he would go away and pray by himself. Verse 47. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. I love that Jesus sees us right where we're at. Even when it feels like he's not with us, he's with us, he sees us. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, and he intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost, and they were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. And he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So Jesus is amazing. We could spend all morning talking about the miraculous storm-calming power of Jesus. He controls meteorology, okay? But what I want to do is I want to talk about the disciples. I'm going to talk about the disciples, and I really want to kind of emphasize this important important question that Jesus asked the disciples. He asked the question, he said, why, why, everybody say why, why Why are you so afraid? And then in the second story, Mark 4, he asked that question, why are you so afraid? And in the second story, Mark 6, it says they didn't understand, their hearts were hardened. So in Mark 4, Jesus asked them an important question, why are you so afraid? Mark chapter 6, he makes a statement, they didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. I don't know about you, but the, these verses, are, they're so encouraging to me because I can so relate to these stories. I can relate to feeling absolutely terrified about the condition of my life. I can relate to not understanding what God is up to. I can relate to my heart being hardened. So often in my life, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know exactly why I'm so afraid, I just feel afraid. I'm going through difficult times, not understanding why God does what he does, unable to to, to receive whatever God is trying to do. And it's in those silly storms, and and it's in those times when God is doing his deepest work forming and shaping me in the most significant ways and structuring my soul. And so for the time that we have left, I want to just I want to highlight three lessons, three lessons from these verses about the storms that we face in life. Three three things that we learn and I believe really can only learn when we are following Jesus but find ourselves in the middle of of storms. And I'm going to go ahead and give them to you cuz I'm I'm a note-taker, and I like to structure my outline and my notes so I ain't got to lose my space. That's says I'm kind of a weirdo like that. So I'm going to go, I like to know where the preacher's going so I can leave myself enough space, okay? And so here's the three lessons I want to teach you this morning. Number one, storms test our faith. Second, storms reveal our fears. And three, storms teach us the truth. Storms test our faith. Storms reveal our fears. And storms teach us the truth, I want to I highlight those to you today. So let's look at the first one. The first one, storms test our faith. Storms test our faith. Storms test our faith. There is no way to know how strong you are until your strength is maxed out. This is a fact of life. You don't know how far you can run until you run as far as you can run and not be able to run any farther. You don't know how strong you are. You don't know what kind of endurance you have. And the same is true in our spiritual life. You do not know what type of faith you have or or, or or the amount of faith that you have. Not that we can totally quantify it. But you don't know the amount of faith you have until your faith is tested. You just don't know. You don't know if you know it until the teacher gives you a test. You don't know if you know it. You think you know it, but you don't know until you are tested. My friend Micah uh, has a, a phrase that he says that I say all the time. Uh, he, he Talking about people, my friend Micah says, you don't really know someone until you tell them no. You don't really know someone until you tell them no. You can think you know them, but until you tell them no, until they don't get what they think they're going to get from you, you don't know that you don't really know them. That's when you know them. And I think the same thing is true of faith. You don't really know how much you trust God until you think God can't be trusted. It's our storms and, and, the, and the seasons of life, and we're just unsure of that. And James said, we've been teaching through James in our church, and, and, and I'm, so I'm, I'm thinking a lot about James as I'm thinking through this message. But James said right at the beginning of the book of James, the letter of James, he said, count it joy when you face trials of many kinds, Consider it joy, change the way you look at it, because it's an opportunity, he says. It's an opportunity when endurance is developed and and perseverance. Your faith is made more complete, which means that you have an incomplete faith at this moment. That I, at this moment, have an incomplete faith. I have more faith than I did previously in my life, but my faith is still incomplete. It's still lacking in some way. And according to James, the reason that there should be some form of joy in my life when I go through some of my darkest seasons of life is because there is an opportunity for my faith to become more perfect and more complete. And it can only happen in those times. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that God whispers to us in our pleasure, and screams to us in our pain. The idea that there are things that prosperity just will not show us. You don't know how many friends you have until you need to move. That's when you find out how many friends you have. Just because you got, if you have season tickets to the Browns, you don't know how many friends you have. What's well, the Browns, so maybe that's true. But I'm saying, like, my bad, my bad. I, I shouldn't have said that. 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 Steelers, right, Miss Shelley? I, should, I shouldn't have said that. We don't even have a team in Louisville, so I don't. Our university is on probation for, like, three decades, so we don't even. We don't know. But you don't know how many friends you have when you own a beach house. You know what I mean? You know how many friends you have when you need to move and you and you need to be there at 8 a.m. Saturday morning? That's when you know how many friends you have. And when it comes to our faith in Christ, it is the storms of our life that reveal to us where we are lacking trust in God. And so the disciples come to Jesus in that first story and they wake him up and they say, Don't you care? Don't you care? You don't know where you're feeling those types of emotions towards God until you are sure He doesn't care, until you don't know how you're going to make it and what you're going to do. And so I'm not saying I'm not saying that you don't believe that you have great faith. I do believe that you believe you have great faith, but you don't know, you don't know, until your faith is, is tested. And so while we would never want to go through it, and while we would never choose to go through these types of things, these are the experiences, the hospital waiting rooms, and the phone calls from doctors, and the heartbreak, and the tragedy in our life, and the confusion of careers falling apart, or going through a pandemic, or these are the types of things that reveal to us, the purifying process that reveal to us where we are lacking faith, in the power and the ability of God. And we will only find them in the middle of the storm. So this is the first thing that we learn from this, is we learn that there, there are parts of the disciples' heart and soul that do not trust that God actually cares. And if you'd walked up to Peter and the disciples and say, do you think God, Jesus cares about you? They'd say, of course Jesus cares about me. But it's only at three o'clock in the morning in the middle of a storm that they reveal that they don't actually believe, they're not actually sure that God cares. You have those things in your life too. If I said to you today, do you believe this? And do you believe this? And do you believe this? And you would say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But it's at 3 o'clock in the morning when you find out you probably don't actually believe it as much as you thought you believed it. And thank God for those moments. Thank God for those seasons and those times. That's why we consider it joy. And so number one, storms test our faith. But let me give you the second one. Storms reveal our fears. Storms reveal our fears. I wanna show you an image, they're gonna throw up on the screen for you. Um, but this, is, this image is called the structure of self, the structure of self. And um, this, this past year, really going back uh, to the beginning of this year, uh, I, I kinda started doing a deep dive, personally doing some personal counseling and some research for myself to really try to figure out how people change at the deepest level. Why is it that at 38, uh, you know, I'm still kind of the same person I was at eight, you know what I mean, like in some ways. And why is it I'm still struggling with the things that I'm struggling with? And as a pastor, watching people in my church kind of move the furniture around in the interior of their life, so to speak, but not ever truly change at the deepest level. This was the question that was haunting me over and over and over again. And and so began to kind of try to figure these things out and and came across this and was taught this, and this has been something that has fundamentally changed my life but that's not hyperbole i I want you to know that that this has the power to really be transformative in your life but this is called the structure of self or the structure of the soul and what it means to uh, what the way you describe this is that all of us have a physical self right now we are interacting with our physical self this is how we look and what we say and how we laugh and Uh, the conversations we have and the jobs that we work, this is the part of us that everyone can see. But it's the only part of us that anyone can see. Because once you go beneath the physical self, then the structure of your interior life is your thoughts, down to your emotions, down to your beliefs, down to your desires. Which means that at the core of every human being, what runs your life is your deepest desires. It's what you want. Every person in this room wants something. And what you think you want is probably not what you want. What you think you want is really just what you think that thing will give you. But we'll talk about that in a second. You want something. And, and a human being, I mean, we don't, we're not that complex. I mean, we are complex. We're not that complex. Human beings, you know, we want affirmation. We want security. We want shelter. We want a few things. And you can kind of break those off in different categories. But every person in this room wants something. Something. You have desires. And those desires, let's work our way back up, those desires shape our beliefs. Your beliefs are kind of the code that you live life by. What you believe is true. This is the theory of life that you have. This, this is your expectation for life. You believe that certain things are true. So for example, if your greatest desire is to be respected, it's true for a lot of us in the room. If your greatest desire is to be respected, then you have certain beliefs about life that you can only be respected if you accomplish great things, for example, okay? Uh, and, And so let's say that all you ever wanted in your life was to be noticed by your dad or to be respected by someone in your life that you cared about. And so you worked hard, you got extra degrees in college, you made a ton of money, you got a million dollars in the bank, you had a bigger house than anybody in your family. And you invite your dad over for Thanksgiving and 30 years later, all you want is for him to say, I'm proud of you, son. Man, you, you did more than I ever could. And you've built up this theory of life that if you'll put in the work that your dad will say that. And if your dad says that, then your emotions are gonna be amazing because your theory of life proved to be true. But that's not ever how it happens, right? Your dad doesn't even care about the house. He makes some shot about whatever. You don't get the the, the the affirmation that you want or the respect that you wanted. And so now, because what you believe to be true about life didn't actually happen, your emotions are a mess. Who am I? Why am I trying so hard? Why does my dad love me? like this? Is Or, or let's take it off the dad stuff for a second. Maybe the desire, maybe you want, you want security. And so what you believe, because of your desire for security, what you believe to be true is that no one should take risk. That risk is dangerous. And so, because that is your belief, if there is someone in your life, or or even you come to a point in life where you have to take a risk, or someone that you love is deciding to take a risk, then emotionally you are a mess because your belief about life is that risk should not be taken because your deepest desire is to be secure. You following me? You following me here? is free counseling. I'm not going to charge you for this counseling session, okay? It's free counseling. And so then your emotions shape your thoughts. My dad didn't affirm me. My dad doesn't love me. I'll never be good. So now your thoughts are, I'll never be good enough for him. I am nobody. It doesn't matter what I accomplish. I'm speaking to some of y'all in the room right now. I know this is... This is what we think. Your your thoughts are, this is never going to work. Risk, right? This is never going to work. That person is so careless. I can't trust that person. These are the thoughts that you're having. If your emotions are good because life has gone the way you thought, then your thoughts are, it'll be this great forever. I can predict the future, right? These are the thoughts that you're having. And then your thoughts come out of your life in physical actions. And so the life that you live, the physical life that you live, is really just the outward expression of what you're thinking, how you're feeling, what you believe to be true, and what you really want the most in your life. This is true for every person in the room. Okay. Now, the reason I tell you all of that is because if you find yourself emotionally distressed, afraid, terrified, the reason that you are terrified, is because something you believe to be true, you're finding out is not true, and it is threatening what you want most in your life. The disciples in this story are terrified. Why? Because they believe that if they were following Jesus, nothing bad would ever happen to them. And what they want more than anything else is to be powerful. But if they die, everybody knows they're fishermen. They're not, even, they're, not only are they going to die, they're going to die in a humiliating fashion. They can't even steer a boat. And so they're freaking out because their theory of life has been interrupted and they're not going to get what they want because they wanted power and what they're going to get is a humiliating death. And So that's why they wake up Jesus in the middle of the night and go, Don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you see what's going on here? Don't you care? Because their beliefs have been shattered and the desires are not going to be realized. And it's only in the storms of life when you realize your deepest fears. And Jesus asks such an important question. I told you to circle it like seven times because it's it's such an important question. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? He doesn't say, what are you so afraid of? Because what you think you're afraid of is not what you're afraid of. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? You say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. That's what you're afraid of, but that's not why you're afraid. What you're afraid of is that you're going to lose your job, but the reason you're afraid is because your security, your sense of security is gone. So I'm afraid that I'm going to get cancer. Well, that's what you're afraid of, but that's not why you're afraid. Why you're afraid is because your expectation is that you would be around to see your kids grow up or to walk your son or daughter down the aisle, and so you're losing a sense of security. Family, or, or whatever it, would, it may be. You say, Well, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose all my money in the stock market. That's what you're afraid of. That's not why you're afraid. See, there's a reason that you're afraid, and you'll never get to the answer of why you're afraid until you're able to articulate what you want more than anything else in the world. Those are your deepest desires, which, by the way, is why. We should go to Jesus and let him give us the desires of our heart, by the way, but that's a separate sermon. And so you're never going to change who you are on the outside. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with deep anxiety and deep fear and deep depression. I'm just telling you, I've been there. I've lived there. This has been a challenging year for me. And as long as you think, as long as you believe that the problem is just the, 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 the situation that you're in, you're never going... To, With to, the power of God, be able to get through some of those things because you have to figure out why you feel the way that you feel. And you'll never figure it out until you get to your deepest desires. So what do you want? This is how we say it around our church, is that you do things you don't want to do because you feel ways you don't want to feel because you don't have what you want. Let me say it again. You do things you don't want to do. That's your physical self. Why do I keep going? that substance why do I keep ending up in that person's bed I don't even like them why can I why can't I be confident about my future why can't I trust people what? you do things you don't want to do because you feel ways you don't want to feel you're trying to stop the feeling because you don't have what you want to have and so the disciples don't know like when you're feeding 5,000 and everybody's saying you're amazing You don't know what you're afraid of when you're rowing and you're struggling and you're trying. And this is is how storms reveal our fears and thank God that they do because we wouldn't know otherwise. And it's only when what you want most in life is threatened that you can come to Jesus as your honest, real, vulnerable self and say, God, I'm a mess because I was building my life on things that were not you. I was, there was idols in my life and structures in my life that I was standing on and building on, thinking that that would give me what I want, but it was only when it was taken from me that I realized the deepest emotional parts of me. And so storms reveal our fears. They test our faith. Let me give you number three. Storms teach us the truth. Storms teach us the truth. After James said, consider it joy when you go through trials of many kinds. In verse 5 he said, and if you need wisdom, don't uh, ask God, our generous God, and he'll give it to you. And we do. And it's in those storms, it's in those seasons of life when we realize how much we don't know We don't know what to do. We don't know the next steps to take. One of my favorite quotes is by Mark Batterson, pastor and author Mark Batterson. He says, don't be so quick to get out of trouble that you don't get anything out of it. I love that. Don't be so quick to get out of trouble you don't get anything out of it. If I were to ask you the greatest life lessons that you have learned, the code you live your life by, you would tell me lessons that you learned in the worst, hardest, most difficult seasons of your life? You would. Because that's when we learn the truth that we need to learn. So I want, I want to read you one more quote. This is, this is a C.S. Lewis quote from his book, The Abolition of Men. And I want to read this to you, and then I'm going to end this message for us. But this is what C.S. Lewis said, um, so telling. He said, for the wise men of old, The cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. For the modern man, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of man. And the solution is a technique. This is what he's saying. There's a lot there, but let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying that in ages past, the wise man had a view of life that said... If I encounter life in some way that interrupts my theory of life, then that must mean that there is something internally in me that needs to be changed. Because I have come to a collision with a way that life has exposed vulnerabilities in me. I need more wisdom, I need more self-discipline, I need more virtue because life has exposed the fragility of my soul. That's, that's the old wise man way of doing it. He says, but the modern way, and he was writing this you know, 70 years ago, but the, the, he says, but for the modern man, what happens is when they encounter life and life exposes some form of them that exposes their fragility, that expo- exposes a way that they are not right. Instead of saying the problem is me, they say the problem is the circumstance. And this has never been more true. Walk into a bookstore if you still go to those. I'm a dork. That's, that's date night for me and my wife. We go to Barnes and Nobles. But um, if you went in a bookstore recently, go look at the titles in the nonfiction sec- section. All technique. All technique. And listen, I love to read them. It's not that they're wrong, but the idea is that you're not the problem. Your circumstances are the problem. You're not the problem. Someone else in your life is the problem. And so if you can change the outer circumstances of your life, you will be happier, you'll be more peaceful, you'll finally have the life that you want. That is not what the Christian faith believes. And that's not what C.S. Lewis is saying here. What should happen to us is when life and our theory of life gets interrupted, it is exposing something on the inside of us that if we will bring it to God, God will use it in some way, use that circumstance, to make us a better person so that, or a more whole person, so that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, there is a peace that passes all understanding that comes because of what God is doing in the deepest parts of our soul and in our life. Does that make sense to everybody? So, man, we would never want to go through it. What we're not going to do today is pray that God would send us into some more storms. That would be a terrible altar call. You know what, right now, if you want to, everybody bow your heads, if you want to be in a storm, just walk on up front. Of course not. But the reality is, is that because we are sinful, broken human beings... We have an incorrect theory of life, period. And our theory of life will keep getting interrupted. And every single point in the process, that is when we can come back to God and say, God, my faith was in myself too much. I want to put my faith more in you. My confidence was in myself. My emotions were tied to my circumstances. My beliefs have been based on my family of origin, more than scripture, whatever those things are, and now I'm realizing more and more through the painful seasons of my life, through the scary storms of my life, that I'm coming to you again, God, and I don't want you to just move the furniture around on the interior. I want you to do a deep work, a deep change in my life, to make me into the person that you have formed and fashioned me to be. And this is what Our savior, Jesus Christ, modeled for us that in the scariest, worst night of his life, in a garden, he is saying to God, I don't want to do this. But he came and he allowed God, he laid his life down because of his greatest desires. And he laid his life down so that you and I could have a relationship with God. And that, that Jesus, knowing who he was, he, he said many times that his desires and God's desires are the same, so that he was without sin, he was not broken. And so Jesus came and faced with fear and uncertainty and struggle and confusion and restlessness of the cross that was coming, he did not make the wrong choice, but it was because his desires were God's desires. That he was able to see himself through to the cross, was raised to life by the power of God, and gave you and I an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. And it's because of that fact that we can know this truth. There are many truths that we will learn about God. But if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, let me tell you one truth that you should know to be true and if you don't know to be true, you'll find to be true sooner than later, is that only believers in Jesus Christ can be sure that a bad thing in your life will ultimately be used for a good thing. That's not silver lining. Listen, that's not silver lining. That's not not some attempt to spin whatever you're going through. If you're here today and your faith is not in Jesus, you are not a believer, you can hope for the best, but you cannot be sure of the best. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you've stopped putting your trust in yourself and you've placed your faith in the work of Christ, the cross of Christ, no matter what you are facing and no matter what you are going through, you can be sure that it has good purpose. Maybe we'll know it on this side of eternity, probably not. We'll know it on the other side. But Romans 8, 1 promises us that all things are working together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're not here today and your faith is not in Jesus, I cannot promise you that your life will be better just because you you know the circumstances of your life will be better just because you put your faith in Christ. I can't do that. But I can say that you can have a certainty and learn a truth in the middle of the worst times and seasons of your life. That whatever I'm going through is good for me. Only believers, only Christians can believe that. Everything that happens to me is good for me. No matter how dark, twisted, messed up. And I know there's some dark, twisted, messed up stories in this room. But we learn he can be trusted, he's faithful, and he's good. No matter what happens, no matter how bad it is, He's doing something good with it. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeerichurch.com.